Welcome to the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, your own personal health reporter. Today's topic is one that is an inevitable fact of life for women, menopause. Now I read, and this is a quote from a major hospital, that menopause is diagnosed after you've gone 12 months without a menstrual period. I'm troubled by that word diagnose. I think of a diagnosis in connection with the disease and I've never considered menopause a disease. It's just a normal part of life for women, a biological process. But it's not a simple process for a lot of women. Physically, psychologically, emotionally, menopause can take a toll. What exactly is it that's happening in a woman's body that starts the process? Why are there so many different symptoms? Why do women seem to breeze through sometimes and yet others suffer big time? What's the latest research on hormone therapy, and what are some alternatives to medication? A lot of questions, but I'm confident our guest will have no trouble answering them. Please welcome Carrie Levine. Carrie is a certified nurse midwife with a private practice called Whole Woman Health, located in beautiful Newcastle, Maine. She provides routine gynecologic care and practices functional medicine. She cares for many midlife women with concerns related to hormone health and has been prescribing hormone therapy for more than 10 years. First of all, Carrie, I need you to tell us what functional medicine is. Ah, that's a good place to start. Functional medicine is a systems biology approach to wellness. And what that means is that instead of looking at a symptom within the particular organ system in which it occurs, you're looking at that symptom within the context of the whole body. Huh. Can you give me an example? Not menopause. We'll get into that in a minute, but sure. Um, a good one is uh, any kind of skin eruption. So people think skin eruption, whether that's a rash or it's eczema or psoriasis, and they think, I'm going to go to the dermatologist and they go to the dermatologist and typically they're going to walk out with either an antibiotic and or an antifungal medication, whether that's a topical cream or whatnot. From a functional medicine perspective, uh, any skin eruption is actually a manifestation of an underlying gut disorder because the gut is the home of our immune system. So when there's inflammation in our gut, you'll see inflammation in, in the skin. So when I see someone with a skin eruption, I'm wondering what foods might they might they be eating that are creating inflammation for their body or what imbalance might be going on in their gut as in uh, not enough good bacteria, an overgrowth of bad bacteria, a deficiency of hydrochloric acid or digestive enzyme, what's going on and if we rebalance it, then does the skin issue clear up? Gut bacteria is a topic that I am dying to tackle, so I think we're going to have to schedule another podcast to talk about that. It's fascinating. (laughs) It's the rage now. Oh, yeah. Biome. (laughs) That's right. Yep. The biome. We have no idea all the activity that's happening inside our bellies, do we? (laughs) Well, some people had some ideas and uh, for quite some time, and major medicine is finally catching on, which is nice. Well, so what about menopause? Anything happening happening in our guts connected to menopause? Well, for sure, the primary detoxification site of estrogen happens to begin in the gut. 
So if you have underlying gut issues, which may or may not manifest as gut issues, so it could be, um, you know, gas, bloating, irritable bowel, or it could be something seemingly unrelated like a skin eruption, um, any of those things could be the manifestation that your gut's not working optimally, which means you're not going to detoxify your hormones optimally. And that can contribute to some of the inconvenient symptoms of menopause. Okay. Well, what else is happening in a woman's body when she goes through menopause? What's the signal, the first signal that the body gets that that's time? I think that is remains one of the major mysteries in women's health, which I think is a beautiful thing. You know, there's a couple things out there that human beings haven't figured out, like what starts labor? Nobody really knows what starts menopause. I mean, in theory, what starts it is there's a change in the ovarian hormone production, but it's complicated because the ovaries are on the same hormone axis as the thyroid gland and the adrenal glands. Adrenals are small little glands that sit on the top of our kidneys, and their primary job is to produce cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, but their secondary job is to make the sex hormones. So one of the things that can really influence symptoms of menopause is stress. And to that end, you can sort of be in an incredibly stressful time of life and because of that shared access, you can have a decrease in ovarian hormone production and seem like you are in perimenopause or menopause only to have the stress abate and to resume normal menstruation. Wow. Is that something that can last a couple of years? Definitely. Very, very interesting. Some women remenstruate and not everybody is aware that that's possible. I mean, it doesn't happen often, obviously, but it does happen. It does happen. And so I want to stay on this for just a second. If you've got a young woman who, say, went two or three years without having a period, and then she started again, was she in menopause or something like menopause for those three years? I mean, I would probably say that she was in menopause and then she's not anymore. Hmm. And that, that probably defies most people's thinking about menopause. But what I often will tell women is it's not a one-way train with a destination that you get to get off of. And I read that sometimes women are really young when it happens. It's not common. But sometimes women are into their 60s before it happens. For sure. I mean, anything after the age of 35 in terms of perimenopause would be considered normal. I think the national mean for menopause is 52. So there's a pretty, it's a pretty long range. Hmm. It can feel quite disheartening. <laughs> well, yes. And it's funny. I read just the other day that only humans and um, a couple of types of whales have menopause. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what about my rant over diagnosing menopause? Am I making something out of nothing or is menopause portrayed as a disease disease sometimes when it really isn't? 
You know, that's a funny question to ask because I feel like I'm under my own little rock, you know, and for me, it's I take care of women through the lifespan of their life. So it's certainly normal. I am surprised by the number of women who um, talk about not talking about it, you know, not knowing a lot about it, not talking with girlfriends or not having heard about it from their moms or their grandmothers or their aunts or other sources of information that would help normalize it. So I'm still always a little surprised by how little information it seems many women have in regard to it. That shocks me too, because at, at one time, before I went through menopause, which is now a couple of decades, it was kind of a taboo subject. But nowadays, I mean, they've got menopause, the movie, menopause, the musical, there are comic strips. I mean, it's women talk about it um, on television all the time, on the radio, there are podcasts, blogs. I, I, I see it really out there. So it does kind of surprise me that there are still women who are not informed or well-informed. There are a lot of women who are not well-informed. So what's the most important thing that you would want those women to know? Um, probably I would start with exactly what you iterated, which is it's normal. It's part of the normal natural life cycle for women. Um, and that being said, it doesn't mean you necessarily have to suffer. Um, it can be an extraordinarily powerful time for a woman if she manages it well. And managing it well really just boils down to taking care of yourself. Um, I feel like perimenopause and menopause is sort of the body calling women back to themselves um, from putting energy out into the universe, whether that's their work or it's their caretaking or it's their children. The ovarian hormones start to slow down and the body sort of demands some attention, which is this really beautiful thing. It can be a really beautiful thing when it's not keeping you up and making you crabby and gain weight and eat foods that aren't healthy for you and make you want to leave your life. The flip side of that coin is sort of a calling to take really beautiful care of yourself. And you can't really, <clears throat> excuse me, blow yourself off or neglect yourself like we so often do during the quote unquote, more productive years of our life. Not that menopausal women don't have productive years. For many, it is the most productive time, the most creative time. But it's, um, you, there is a, I think because of aging, there's a little bit of a <clears throat> loss of resiliency to the, to our physiology, which is normal, like any machine. You kind of can't blow yourself off anymore. You can't eat too many carbohydrates. You can't skimp on sleep. You can't not exercise without having symptoms crop up, whether it's weight gain or it's um, acne or it's high blood pressure. You know, you really, you really have to put yourself on the radar. And, and that's a blessing. I think it can be seen as a blessing. It can feel really inconvenient and it can feel crazy difficult because people don't expect that from us, but it's when done, it's a pretty beautiful thing. Well, having been there, I have a few things to say about that. Ooh, um, talking about perimenopause, first of all, I didn't realize until I'd gone through menopause 
that I had also gone through this perimenopause, I was able to look back and realize that there was a, about a year or so before I stopped having periods that I was on edge a lot. Things that didn't used to bother me bothered me tenfold. And I didn't understand it at the time. Maybe it's because I worked full time, had two children and, you know, the, the normal stresses of that time. But everything seemed a little bit exacerbated. Yes. And so I realized years later that there wasn't a lot of information, at least then, about perimenopause. What are some of the clues that lead up to that or that you get during that time that maybe can help prepare you for menopause well I think you did a nice job at the in the opening defining menopause as a year without a period and that's the first thing to understand is that you're not you can only sort of define yourself as menopausal retrospectively looking back hmm. and then what I tell women is anything after the age of 35 that leads up to that year without a period is considered perimenopause and it could be frequent periods or absence of periods. It could be light bleeding or heavy bleeding. It could be worsening PMS, irritability, anxiety that's either cycle specific or not. Um, there could be weight gain, there could be facial hair growth, there could be acne. Someone, Some women will say, you know, I've never had pimples in my entire life. What is going on now? Hmm. Um, those are, those I would say are the physical presenting symptoms, but there's absolutely a psycho-spiritual presentation as well. And it's definitely a question of who am I? Um, generally speaking, women don't have very young children anymore around when this happens, although that is changing a lot as women, you know, begin to have babies in their early 40s. Um, and then that can really muddy the water too, because you can go right from pregnancy to nursing to perimenopause, menopause, and it's really hard to make sense of what's what. And in some ways it doesn't really matter, but huh. some, but it's that can be disorienting for women. Um, so you know, the presentation is usually accompanied by some sort of um, identity questioning of who am I, sort of beyond the woman that I've been so far and what parts of me do I want to take with me into the next stage of life and which parts do I want to leave behind. And there's often a re, a re, a re, what's the word? Um, there's a redefining, um, you know, some people will call it, oh, well, it's a midlife crisis. And I like to think it doesn't have to be a crisis. It is a transition when tended to can result in a really, really rich life, but you have to do the work on all the levels. It's, it's hard. I remember very clearly, um, I stopped having my periods and I thought, okay, wow, done with it. This is exciting. A new chapter. And then a month passed and I got a period and I wept. I, I, I wept. I was at work in one of the stalls, not because, oh damn, here's a period again, but because I realized that I missed having them. 
I mean, they can be a pain sometimes, but I missed having them because I'd had so many years of coming to terms with the rhythms of my body. You know, I knew what to expect. I, I understood mood swings that happened to me. I could chart them. And then suddenly I was in this whole new territory and I didn't know what to make of it. So I'm looking back, grateful that I had that opportunity to reflect like that, to mourn a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I'm still moving forward. <laughs> yeah. Some women grieve for sure. For sure. And some women are relieved. I would say everybody seems to respond differently to it. I don't want to go too far without asking you, is there a difference um, in how women react um, between a woman who's gone through natural menopause or a woman that I think it's called induced menopause has gone through menopause because she's had surgery to remove her ovaries, for instance? Yeah, I would say there is a huge difference. And when there is a surgical menopause, you know, you're just sort of blasted into something that typically is a process. And typically when there's a surgical menopause, physicians will prescribe hormone therapy to try and buff that a little bit. Um, But that can be intense Hmm. for sure. However you go through menopause, there are lots of signs, symptoms, whatever we call them. Why are there so many different ones? And why is it that some women breeze through and others suffer? Mm. Um, I think that there's so many different symptoms because hormones affect so many parts of our body. I mean, you know, hormones will affect our cardiovascular function. Hormones will affect our skin. Hormones will affect our digestion, our vaginal tissues, our appetite, our cognition. I don't know that there's anything our hormones don't touch. So in that way, our entire body is affected. I think some women sail through menopause and others do not. Sometimes because of their lifestyle, sometimes because of their nutrition, sometimes because of the emotional work that they have or haven't done along the way, sometimes because of varying degrees of stress, and sometimes just because. And that was something that I learned when I took care of women having babies. You know, you could take the most centered woman who quote unquote did everything right, ate well, lived well, moved well, had a present and supported partner, et cetera. And she still could get her socks knocked off with a really hard labor. Hmm. Similarly, you could take a woman who didn't care for herself and wasn't aware and awakened and she could have a breeze of a labor. So there is some mystery that I'm grateful for, that that prevents us from fully understanding all of it. But typically, I would say women eating a high-carbohydrate diet that's heavy in processed food, aren't exercising, and are not in touch with themselves are more likely to have a difficult transition than the opposing woman. I had a weird symptom. I had heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. 
really scary ones. They they went away, but I remember middle of the summertime, I'm sitting in a lawn chair just relaxing, and it felt like my heart was pounding through the back of my chest onto the chair that I was sitting in. Mm. Um, so I was told that, that was directly connected to menopause. Do many women have that? I'm so glad you were told that that was connected to menopause because many women are told it has nothing to do with it. Hmm. It's actually a really common symptom. Many a perimenopausal or menopausal woman has gone to the emergency room thinking she's having a heart attack or the, the language that I often hear is it feels like it felt like there was an elephant sitting on my chest. And I've heard that verbatim language used on more than one occasion. Um, so that's a really common symptom presentation. Well, that's good to know. I don't hear it talked about very often. And yeah. uh, I had to wear one of those monitors and it recorded in 24 hours, something like 1200 skipped beats. Yeah. But, yeah. And you, you know, you really can only say it's menopause when you've ruled out other major medical issues. You know, I would never make that assumption right. <laughs> with full workup. But when the full workup is normal and you're still having the symptoms and you're of the right age, it's very clearly related to menopause. And it went away after a couple of months. And some med- I did have to take some medication, but yeah, knock on wood, no problem since. That's good. Um, so in talking about some women having really challenging symptoms, some women will decide to do uh, hormone replacement therapy. I did another podcast about the pros and cons of hormone replacement therapy recently. And a week later, out came another study. Can you talk about this latest research, what they've discovered? Um, Well, my take home from that study, which is really a brief synopsis, is the study showed when hormones are used appropriately that they do not cause adverse health effects. That was essentially the take home I took. What's appropriately mean? So a couple of the professional organizations that like to weigh in on the, the idea of hormone therapy and the lovely Susan Dowdy, I don't know if you know her. Susan Dowdy. Susan Dowdy. She held my hand throughout menopause. Yeah. There you go. So <laughs> Susan Dowdy is really um, astute, and she really encourages people to use the language hormone therapy as opposed to hormone replacement therapy, Uh because she says, we're not trying to replace it so like you have the same hormones as you did. Some people do practice that way, and they're largely involved in the um, age management movement or anti-aging medicine I'm not sure all of the different language they use for that. But so anyway, so some of the professional organizations that weigh in on the idea of hormone therapy, like the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the North American Menopause Society, and the American Academy of Family Physicians finally came to some agreement a number of years ago on what's a good way to take care for women with hormones. And the consensus is this. You give bioidentical hormones only, which means you give hormones that are molecularly the exact same as what the body makes. You give them through the skin, so a gel or a patch, as opposed to something taken orally. 
when giving hormones through the skin, you bypass both the gut and the liver. So I talked earlier about how hormones are first broken down in the gut, then they go to the liver and it's in the liver where hormone metabolites that can build up and contribute to adverse side effects happen. So if you give it through the skin, you're bypassing all of that potential. So bioidentical through the skin, the lowest dose necessary for the therapeutic gain. So you're not giving one the same dose to all women. It's not one size fits all medicine like what happened with the Women's Health Initiative a number of years ago where there were all these adverse side effects. You can't give all women the same dose. All women are not the same. All women are not gonna metabolize hormones the same. And you wanna give just enough to help her reach her therapeutic goal, not too much. And then the last principle is for the shortest duration of time. So the standard of care used to be that you could prescribe hormones for 10 years. They changed that to five years now. So some people would say you don't want to be on hormones for longer than five years. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's the sort of overarching um, recommendation. So just to recap it, bioidentical hormones only given through the skin, the lowest dose to reach the therapeutic goal for the shortest duration of time. And when you prescribe in that way, you really minimize any adverse health effects that result from hormone therapy. And what about if a woman doesn't even want to do hormone therapy at all? And thank you for correcting me on that. Oh, no problem. What, what are some alternatives? Oh, my gosh. So always starting with nutrition and life, um, lifestyle. So decreasing carbohydrate intake, mostly plants. Those dark green leafy vegetables have a nutrient in them called sulforaphane. That essentially is the medicinal part of the broccoli, et cetera. And that, that um, molecule helps promote healthy hormone metabolism. So lots of kale, collard, Brussels sprouts, those kinds of foods. Um, not too much sugar, not too many of the stimulants like alcohol and caffeine. Exercise, um, again, really supports healthy hormone metabolism no matter where you are in life. There's a number of studies about that. From there, I often will talk with people about acupuncture. You know, I see lots of breast cancer survivors for whom hormone therapy is just not an option. And I've seen them have really good results with acupuncture and or Chinese herbs. From there, I talk with people about foundation nutrients that can support healthy hormone metabolism, and then you can move into plants. And there's Tons of over-the-counter preparations for hormone balance using plants. Some are FDA approved. Some are not. They work for some. Sometimes they work enough. Sometimes mm. they don't work enough. It's really variable. And it's really about women finding the way that they want to do it, giving it a try, and seeing what works. It's very individualized, which is what you said a few minutes ago. Huge. Huge. We're all different. Well, we're going to have to wrap up. I'm sure that we haven't answered everybody's questions. Uh, are there some common questions that you do get that we didn't touch upon? Mm. I mean, for sure. 
you know, whether it's what do I do about vaginal dryness to what do I do about my craziness before I get my period um, to am I going to shrivel up? Like literally people will ask that. Um, you know what I think I'd like to do is I think I'd like to solicit some questions from women and we'll meet again and uh, answer questions, maybe not just about menopause, but just about women's health. We could have oh, an ongoing so, series. That would be so fun. All right. Well, let's do it. Any final words of wisdom you have? Mm, if you're having symptoms, find a practitioner who listens well and honors who you are. That is so critical. No matter whether you're a woman, a man, what you have going on, find mm -hmm. somebody who will respect you, listen to you. Mm -hmm. Because we, the patients, have a lot of wisdom. And we tell our stories, and that helps come up with, if there is a diagnosis, a diagnosis, or getting to the root of what the problem is. The, the story will totally point to the root. You just have to take the time to listen hmm. and think. Yeah difficult in uh, this healthcare environment. I think probably not for the way you practice, but unfortunately, you've got to come armed with your five questions. Right. And your seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Carrie, thank you for sharing your menopause wisdom and expertise. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. So fun. <laughs> well, whether she is just approaching it in the midst of it or long past it, we know there are always plenty of questions about the effects of menopause and how it truly changes a woman's life. So Carrie and I will get back together and answer some more questions that women might have. I have been talking with Carrie Levine. Carrie is a certified nurse midwife with a private practice called Whole Woman Health that's located in Newcastle, Maine. Are you right on the water? No, I'm about a mile from the water, but... Um... On a good day, you can catch the smell of the saltwater river not so far away. I was just going to ask if you could smell it. That's yeah. wonderful. See, yeah. one of the many joys of living in Maine. Yeah. The other thing, Diane, too, just worth noting is that I do practice in South Portland one day a week. Okay. I'll make sure. Uh, I'll be posting the podcast uh, on, on my blog, and I can add links. So I'll make sure to link to your website so people will know where you are. Thanks. You are welcome, and thank you. I'm Diane Atwood, and you've been listening to the Catching Health Podcast. To listen to more episodes or to read my blog, go to catchinghealth.com. I'm also excited to let you know that this podcast is now available on iTunes, and you would be doing me a huge favor if you would subscribe and rate and review it. Again, that's on iTunes, and the podcast is called Catching Health with Diane Atwood. Thank you and have a wonderful day.